God welcomes those whose hearts are sick. God's invitation comes to people whose joy is gone. We bring all our pain and resolve anger. We come in all our confusion to seek answers. Bring all your urgent prayers and honest laments. God is eager to offer salvation and open us to truth. Let us join in worship and praise of our healing God. The scripture reading is from Psalm 113. Hallelujah. Give praise, you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its going down, let the name of the Lord be praised. Who is like the Lord our God? Who sits enthroned on high. The Lord takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts up the poor from the ashes. The Lord makes the woman of a childless house to be a joyful mother of children. Alleluia. Second lesson is in First Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Word of God. Word of life. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? 
Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So this is one of those scriptures that's like, whoo, what? <laughs> so we're going to read it again. This time I'm going to read it from the message because I love the way Eugene Peterson writes this one. He calls it the story of the crooked manager. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then, when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their homes. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred drugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down quick now, write fifty. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? And he answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill quick and write in 80. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. 
I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second, or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. So what about this story? What about this parable Jesus is using here in the gospel lesson to teach us? Will Willimon, a wonderful United Methodist preacher and teacher, former bishop in the United Methodist Church, says it is, quote, the toughest of the tough texts in the whole Bible to comprehend and understand, end quote. So let's see. The crooked manager is an embezzler or somebody who padded their expense account, or a combination. When we read the story, we expect Jesus to condemn this embezzler. But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus says that this embezzler and dishonest employee acted shrewdly. The manager said this too. The the guy who lost all the money said this too. Knew how to look after himself. Was smarter than the law-abiding citizens we all strive to be. And he was just surviving by his wits. As I said, his master, now former employer, praised him for being able to take care of himself and act shrewdly shrewdly and be streetwise. Then, the shocker, Jesus wants all of us, you and me, to be the same way. And finally, sort of maybe what we've been waiting for, Jesus says, adds this little thing on there. I want you to be smart in the same way as this embezzler, but for good. For what is right. Employee goes and snitches on the manager. Boss confronts the dishonest embezzling manager and fires him. Now as a former employee is cleaning out his desk, he asks for and receives a complete accounting of what is owed to his now former boss to see all the books. The poor guy has a problem. It seems that he's not used to working too hard and admits that he, he can no longer do hard physical labor and can't imagine begging in the town square. What do you do? Unemployment? Not enough money there. It seems this guy was in a real bad way. So instead of feeling sorry for himself, he decides to get some of the vendors of his boss together, especially those who owe the most to the boss, gives them a fancy lunch and tells them to forget what they owe the boss. Oh, and these folks don't know. They don't have any idea that he's been fired. (laughs) Then the boss, who the manager stole from, tells everyone that the manager was smart and streetwise and looking for all the angles. Why would Jesus burden the listeners then and all of us now with this story? Some might say, though, that this was supposed to be a good news story. In an age that seems to be challenged by a lack or void of ethics and morals, seemingly on all kinds of sides and all kinds of levels, why is Jesus trying to confuse us? 
Will Willimon again, in his commentary on this gospel lesson, reminds us of the classic movie, some of you will remember it, The Sting. His retelling reminds me so vividly of that movie. He's, Paul Newman and Robert Redford trick the gangsters, tricked them out of the money the gangsters were stealing from Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Did you get that? <laughs> That's what they do in that movie. They, they trick the money out of the gangsters, from the gangsters that were, that, that they already stole from them. We like this, these kind of stories because maybe it makes us feel like the little guy is winning. <laughs> A Robin Hood kind of story. Putting one over on the big boss, the money man, celebrated in a way, often in a comical way, you know, sticking it to the rich guy, sticking it to the man. And then we usually add in there, and he probably deserves it. On another level, it's kind of fun to watch the creativity of this low-level manager, especially because it seems he's so desperate and has, it seems, no fear, and takes matters into his own hands. After all, what has he got to lose? (laughs) Then the monster curveball in the text from Jesus, or better yet, that big fat pitch that no one can seem to hit. Just like the people in our story, what do we do with this? We all for sure expect Jesus to use the story, this parable, to make the obvious point. Jesus instead seems to make the exact opposite point. Then Jesus goes even further. Jesus has the swindled boss praise the same unethical acts of the embezzler, even though the boss is the guy who's the loser in the whole thing. Does it make any sense at all? It's a real dilemma. Could it be hyperbole? Uh Uh-oh, there's a big word. (laughs) I'm not sure what that one means. So I always have to make sure that I look it up to to be totally sure so that I can tell you. Obvious and deliberate exaggeration. An extravagant statement. Not meant to be taken seriously. Some scholars say, yep, that's what it was. A gross overstatement. Others think that might be true. Even the writer of Luke... If you really think about it, the writer of the Gospel of Luke seems uncomfortable with all this and seems an attempt to clarify it or sort of make an excuse for it in those last verses, 10 to 13. If you're honest in small things, be honest in big things. If you're crooked in small things, be crooked in big, you'll be crooked in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who's going to put you in charge of the store? No one can serve two bosses. You'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. And then, as Peterson's translation says, you can't serve both God and the bank. Does that help? Maybe a little. I always like examples to hopefully make them somewhat clearer. It's a short one. It comes from Jim Wallace, who's author and pastor, and someone who, like me, grew up in the D, Detroit. As everyone knows and hears about, and of course, I'll tell you that you only hear about the bad stuff that comes out of Detroit, but you love to drive the good stuff that comes out of Detroit, or some of you do. As everyone knows, Detroit has challenges. Their challenges are, like most or maybe all cities in the U.S., great problems, like right around here in Allentown, shootings and gangs and drugs, and drugs and gangs and shooting. Wallace tells us about a church in Detroit that has taken back the six blocks surrounding their church. So here's what they did. They deployed some experienced members, some would call them little old ladies, or the LOL for short, 
Here's what they did. They put them in lawn chairs on the corners around the church. These experienced members, these, the LOL, were given video cameras. Overnight, the entire neighborhood changed, That said. The drug dealers started disappearing. I guess they didn't want to be on TV. Gangs, gangs stopped making the territory, marking the territory with their graffiti because it seems someone was not only watching, but someone seemed to care. These determined and committed LOLs didn't know how to work the video cameras. <laughs> but the drug dealers, the gangs didn't know that. <laughs> and the whole thing worked to make those six blocks safer for all who entered them. The LOLs were not completely savvy to all the ways of the street in today's world but instead found a way to be beating those gangs and those gangbangers and drug dealers at their own game. So that translates for me into when we proclaim faith, we proclaim that the future is God's. When we proclaim faith, we proclaim that we are open to God's advent. You know, God's coming into view. God's arriving on the scene. When we proclaim faith, we proclaim then that we are open to that advent, that coming into view, that arriving on the scene, just like the LOLs. Once God arrives, God never leaves. God is always there. So we need to try hard to have faith, not fear. And we need to try to be tough, not timid. We need to try to be totally trusting of the positive future. Not totally consumed by anxiety over the whole future. What might happen? What might happen if we are not totally consumed by anxiety over the future? Faith, hope, trust, all abide. The future is not just in our hands. But the love of God and the love of each other... That amazing agape love, community love, togetherness love, and caring for each other. Too often, we resign ourselves to our fate. We sit around and whine. We say, what can we do? And then sometimes we sit around a little longer and whine again. And we say, what can we do? Jesus, though, takes this unexpected future and, as Willimon puts it, quote, lures us toward an unexpected future. Unexpected because it's not our future. It's God's future. Siblings in Christ, not only was Jesus the one who tells the stories, this one and so many others, Jesus also lives them. Jesus embodies them. Jesus not only talks the talk, but Jesus walks the walk, to use that old phrase. It never hurts us to hear it again. So here it comes. Jesus did not move toward his death, even death on the cross, as one resigned to his fate. Instead, Jesus made that journey confident of a future, a future that belongs to God And to God alone. Jesus bet his life with confidence in and on the same future that belongs to God. 
And thanks be to God, in Easter, we know the seeming risk that Jesus took. Then God not only redeemed Jesus from death, each time we ask for forgiveness, redeems all who believe. All who believe. Another quick story. Some of you were here on Thursday morning. Thursday morning, we celebrated the life of Richard Schmick. 98 years old, mind sharp as can be all the way to the end. The Schantz Funeral Home on Wednesday night, 250 people came to pay their respects. And here there were more than 100 people at the service. To a person, everyone who I had to to inform or mention to Do you know that Richard Schmick died? Or when they came to talk to me about him dying, had only good things to say. (laughs) I mean, really good things to say. And that spirit was there all day long while we were here for the service and went out to the graveside and there's the big truck from his business and on the back it says, founded in 1951 by Richard Schmick, still family owned and operated. But he was a nice guy, too. And he cared for everybody. But the story that I told last Sunday when I was getting ready for worship, I was over in the office sitting at the desk over in the office, and his two, great, two, two of his great-grandchildren came in, Landon and Asher. You've seen them all the time when the kids are come up here. And they came into the office, and they walk up to me, and they went, this is like only... Less than 24 hours after Pappy died. They're sticking their chests out. They had tie bars on. (laughs) One was a bulldozer and one was a front end loader. They were Pappy's tie bars. And they were telling everybody how great Pappy was. And they were honoring him in that way. That's what Jesus is talking about. doing things that you don't expect. I didn't expect these two little boys to have it all together and come in there and say, my pappy lived a great life. Look at what he, look what he left to me. And look, isn't this cool? He gave me this. He was 98 years old, but he still cared for me and loved me and all those things. Oh yeah, and he was a member of the church here for 93 years. How about that one? That's what's right. You see? So God gives us those examples all the time. We just have to find them and look for them and see them. So as Jesus calls us to be smart in the same way, but but for what is right, calls on us to use every adversity to stimulate us, to stimulate us to creative survival, and to concentrate our attention on the bare essentials. So that we live, really live. Thanks be to God for this good news. Good news that sometimes confuses us, always challenges us, but also good news that is our hope, our life, and our all. Amen?
God of blessing, at this table we have seen you face to face, and in the gift of Christ's body and blood, our hearts have been refreshed. Send us now to shine with your goodness and bear witness to the one we have received, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And now receive these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always and unto ages of ages. Amen.